Welcome in to 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm excited to be talking some Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the show, and we've got more news, more around-the-field stuff to talk about here. Of course, it's going to require us to talk about some on-the-field stuff, too, but we do have some things that, honestly, I, I didn't think this is what the podcast is going to be about today. Even when I first saw the news, I was like, all right, cool, but I'm still going to do the stuff that I had planned. But now that I've seen the general reaction to the news, I feel like I must address it. I've got to talk about Nolan Jones, and I've got to talk about Zach Neen and Drew Romo, and and I have to begin with the fact that I'm a little perplexed by that this is the topic of conversation today. Now, I hope I'm not doing too much preaching to the choir here, and and maybe those of you who are regular listeners are right with me in having fully expected all of this to happen, being not at all surprised to learn that these players uh, have been optioned back down to the minor leagues, as everything that we've been seeing so far was leading to that, right? But there are a few elements of this that I haven't talked about yet, and since this does mark the end of their time in big league camp, I thought I would, at the very least, give a little bit of a rundown on what we saw from Veen and Romo. So we'll end on that, the the big fun thing, but I, I gotta start with this Nolan Jones conversation, because I am epically confused. Basically, from the beginning of this trade, where the Rockies acquired him, till now. So let's start there and and just do this in chronological order, because when the trade happened, my reaction to it was, yeah, all right, fine. Okay, Uh, so the Rockies have quite a bit of depth at middle infield, and I'm going to talk about Juan Brito in a second, but throughout their organization, they have quite a bit of depth at middle infield, and we all knew they were looking for a way to add some power, add some pop and add to basically the the top part of their farm system, right? Over and over again, the conversation about the farm system has been, you know, first of all, it was people denying they had any talent whatsoever, and they're one of the worst, they're one of the worst. Then as people had to start recognizing just the production that these guys were doing, it was, okay, the farm system is better, but all of that talent is in the lower levels and, and further away, right? Which I've always felt was an overstatement. That's obviously not true of guys like Tovar, Montero, Tolia, and apparently now Zach Veen and Drew Romo. We'll get into that in a second. They're they're basically top half of the minors guys knocking on the door guys now. But that, that wasn't without merit, that conversation, that, that argument that the Rockies had a lot more talent in the lower levels. And so it seemed obvious to me what this trade was about. Like I said, Juan Brito is a middle infielder, second baseman, uh, with a, some interesting, promising results so far at age 21 now. You know, he's hit well. He's only uh, had a couple of years in uh, professional baseball, and he hasn't played above A ball. Now, he did produce a 129 WRC+, plus, roughly 29% better than league average at the plate, right? 17 stolen bases, 11 home runs. Uh, you know, low strikeout numbers, good walk numbers. Like you like all of those things. There's a there's a decent profile there, but there's a lot of guys in the minors who who do that, right? If you look at his scouting reports, none of his tools, power, game power, raw power, speed, fielding ability, any of this stuff, none of it rates out above average. The only thing that is really projected to maybe get there is the contact hit tool. Right, 5'11", switch hitting guy who's hit some home runs in the minors, but that's not really expected to keep an, an interesting prospect. And I'm rooting for him. I've always liked him, but he was rated, the highest I saw him rated by anybody was Fangraphs had him at 15th on the Colorado Rockies 
prospect charts, right? So that's not even close to being like a top 100 guy or, or, or anything like that, right? He, he's not even in the Rockies top 10. As of today, as of my recording of this right now, according to MLB Pipeline, he is the Cleveland Guardians' 18th best prospect. Okay, so Juan Brito's an interesting player who might turn into something one day, and I hope he does. I root for all these kind of young guys. You know, I want them all to pan out, but they can't, right? That, that's not how it works. But he's two years away at the most optimistic projection, and he does play the middle of the infield where the Rockies have, well... Obviously, there's the Brendan Rodgers question is it's kind of open for now. But even then, you know, obviously, that you can put McMahon there at second. And then you've got Ezekiel Tovar, who, by the way, is the same age as Juan Brito, essentially, but the heir apparent at shortstop right now. And several other players throughout the farm system, including Adiel Amador, uh, depending on how you feel about Coco Montez, uh, could be a part of that conversation. Aaron Schunk isn't a middle infielder, but more young guys with bats on the infield, and there's only four infielder spots for guys to play. Uh, and so um, Jorge, uh, Dion Jorge is another guy uh, that the Rockies have in this same basic category. Essentially, they kind of had two of these, right? And they decided, well, okay, we're going to move, since we have so much depth here, and we have several of these guys who kind of have the same profile, we're going to move one of them. We're going to get Nolan Jones who at one point was considered a top prospect for Cleveland. He put up monster numbers in the minors. WRC pluses of 171, 147, 162, 157, and 147. Those are elite, elite numbers. And he is considered to have, again, on the, you know, the, the prospect uh, scouting report charts, raw power, that is well above league average, a game power that should play above, above league average, and one of the best throwing arms in the game right now. Now, as I mentioned when they acquired him, the reason why I didn't go, go over the moon, I, I saw people right away saying, well, this is going to be the Rockies' starting right fielder. And, and it reminded me a lot of when the Rockies signed Chris Bryant. People were like, well, he's going to be their third baseman. I was like, no, he's not. Ryan McMahon exists. I don't know. I didn't know right at the moment exactly what they were going to do with Chris Bryant, but I knew it wasn't third base. Right. And I knew just by looking at his profile that Nolan Jones was not acquired to come in here and immediately and obviously take over as a corner guy in the outfield because his numbers at the bigs with Cleveland in now just 28 games, not a ton, but the big strikeout numbers uh, and not much of a batting average guy, something I, I talked about a lot. Now, somebody on Twitter corrected me a little bit and said the batting average eh, may be a little bit better than he thought. And and it was. There's you know some 244s and 238s in there, but some 250s, 270s. Like, okay, never really been even close to a 300 guy, though. But when you've got his kind of power, but again, the power is really theoretical with him. He hasn't hit a ton of home runs. It's just, it's there. You You clearly see it, but... It was obvious to me that Cleveland was kind of saying, hey, look, now at 24 going into age 25, this guy isn't quite hitting at the big league level the way we thought. The big strikeout numbers, like a lot of guys, we've seen it with Sam Hilliard. We may be seeing it with Michael Tolia, but they, you know, you, you take your shot for sure, right? But it was clear to me that Nolan Jones was a project and that there was hope that maybe he does come in and find his best self uh, with the Rockies here. And and 
it can play out. But right, I, I never thought, oh, he for sure has a certainly a starting spot. I thought that conversation was very strange. I thought the moment they acquired him, it was going to be a long shot for him to make the big league roster, especially considering the presence of guys like Montero and Tolia, who play the same position but are higher level prospects at this point. And the Rockies have been very high on internally. Now you show up to spring training and you got to have a bit of a competition, right? Because if, I, I now I do believe if Jones had come out and hit 270 with three or four home runs and been looking good in each plate appearance that, yeah, he probably would have made the team. And there was a chance he could have made the team over Montero and, and a more than 0% chance he could have been the starting third baseman. But I think that was, you know, just a long shot among long shots, even after the injuries occurred, again because of the presence of Elaris Montero and Michael Tolia. So when you throw on top of that the fact that throughout this spring training, Nolan Jones has been, quite frankly, among the worst qualified hitters, uh, not even qualified, just among the worst hitters in spring training. We're not even, we're not qualified yet. No one's got that many plate appearances. He has the second lowest OPS of anybody in spring and the second, well, technically, I guess there, there's two guys ahead of him that have 21 strikeouts. He's sitting there with, with 20. And that's just, the, the at-bats are ugly. The strikeouts are bad. He's hitting a buck 46 with 20 Ks. The Rockies have other players who play his position. And if you want what's best for Nolan Jones, then sending him to AAA is the right thing to do here. Uh, we've talked about this before. Now, I, I'm going back and forth on whether or not I agree that sending AAA, uh, sending Michael Tolia to AAA is the best thing to do for him. I would have just run with that one, and you all know that, right? But I had, again, before any of this, long, even before the Profar thing had happened, you, you can go back and check our AMAs. And by the way, I hope you all are following Kim and Mile High Sports on uh, Twitter. And we're doing these weekly AMAs every Thursday now. And we talked about this. I said, you, you got to send one of these two guys to AAA because you want them given every single day at bats, getting the seasoning, finding the best, best versions of themselves. And if they do, then they can earn that call up. And I would prefer it be Jones, who to me just has the raw skill set right now and has more to prove versus Montero, who's actually been very steady with the bat for the last two years. Now, he hasn't shown it quite at the big league level Uh you know, there are definitely some things there. And Montero has the, the issue of the defense. I know they're concerned about his defense at third base. And they've come out and talked about it a couple of times. And it's not going to be great. It's not. But that's not important right now. What's important right now is his plate appearances. And what everything I've seen lately is very encouraging that Montero is going to be the starting third baseman. And if that's the case... There's no point in sticking Nolan Jones on your bench and hoping the guy finds a rhythm. He's hitting a buck 46 and striking out all the time now. You're going to cool him off? <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you got to send him to AAA and let him get regular every day at bats. Now, I understand that some people want to almost always pull back to the 35,000-foot view and say, yeah, but what this really is is evidence that the Colorado Rockies are a terribly run organization because they traded this guy who was a really good prospect for this player who they apparently believed in and thought was going to come in and make an immediate impact, and now they're burying that player. And it's like, I just think that's a misread of the situation from beginning to end. I, I think Juan Brito is a, a fine prospect, but when he wasn't even making the Rockies' top 15 prospects in a system that people were still being pretty negative about, I have a hard time believing that, like, and again, when we're talking about Montero and Tolia, we're talking about guys who are like the fourth and ninth 
best prospects in the Rockies system, not the 23rd, right? Nolan Jones, I think, is an interesting acquisition. I don't know that I would have made the trade. I'm still not sure that I know what they saw in him to acquire him in the first place. But for me, it's no harm, no foul, even if Jones doesn't really turn into anything. Even if Brito pans out someday, because that's just the game with prospects. You never really know. But from a positional standpoint, from an asset standpoint, it actually made perfect sense for the Rockies to do what they did. And it doesn't make any sense to go full sunk cost fallacy and say, well, we have to give at bats to Nolan Jones because we sent out an A ball prospect for him. And, you know, he's about to be 25, so they should just be throwing him out there no matter what. Now, so, so again, if it was up to me, it wouldn't even be Jones in there instead of Profar. It'd be Tolia. And that, I think, there, there's a stronger argument to be made. But Jones has got to go and, and get a rhythm somewhere. And that's got to be at AAA. And if he doesn't find it there, then you're having another more difficult conversation, right? Then you can really come back and say, well, they... They they traded a potentially interesting prospect to it as a you know you know good profile and hasn't been bad yet in the minors and they they got him nothing for him right but as of now the Rockies do have other guys that need to play and as much as and look if you want me to jump up and down on the team about the acquiring of the the veterans and stuff you can listen to either the last couple of podcasts I've gone through it I don't agree with it all that said it's still entirely plausible they roll out there with Montero as their starting third baseman. Tovar's going to be the guy at short, right? You're going to have some interesting prospects out there in the bullpen for sure. Uh, You know, some of these young guys have have an outside chance of making the rotation. I'm going to talk more and more about that as we go into this last week. And yeah, I wish they were doing it in the outfield as well, but you can't just force that because you made it another trade, right? If anything, that's going to be totally a spot here very soon. I even kind of hope there's a part of me that's wrong about how this whole thing is going to play out. I don't think so. I think he's going to end up in AAA or on the bench, which would be worse. And again, I'll be consistent there. Like, I don't I don't think it does any good to have Tolia on a bench. The same way I don't think it would do Jones any good to have him on the bench. And so while it's not what I would say is the ideal scenario, if I learn the news that Tolia has been sent to AAA, my reaction is going to be, yeah, that makes sense now. Frustrating, but still the the ball is in his court. Nope, that's the wrong sport. Uh, His fate is in his hands, which is a silly phrase because that's not how fate works. But anyway, it will be up to Tolia at that point to crush at AAA because he's going to get his chances. Look, this isn't this spring training isn't the end of the road for any of these young players. All right, that we need to be very clear about. There's another thing that sort of happens this time of year that I feel like it's, you know, overly talked about. I remember having this conversation with Carlos Estevez one time and, and him talking to me about a, a year where he really thought he was going to make the big league roster. And it was kind of like this, right? A young player, he, he had a good spring. There were some veterans who were struggling and he thought he was going to grab that final spot. And he was really disappointed late in spring training when they came to him and they told him, we're going to send you down to AAA. But then they said, because we want you closing ball games, We want you pitching, you know, every other day, we want you to stay loose. And if we brought you on the big league club, you'd be the eighth man in the bullpen and we'd hardly ever use you, 
right? And once it was explained to him that, you know, you put together a good couple of weeks and we need anybody, but in a, in a more important role, we need someone in a seventh or eighth inning role, then that's where we're going to call you. And this was tough for Carlos because kind of like Tolia here, he had had big league experience. In fact, Carlos had been the closer for a minute under Walt Weiss, like out of necessity, but right, he had real big league experience closing out games and had a good spring and should have had a roster spot. If you were really just taking the guys who it's like, here are the best players we've got right now, then you'd take him. He would have been the last guy in the pen. But that's not always how you build your roster. And so as much as I'm frustrated by it, at this point, you've got to send Jones, and if you're not going to start him, Tolia, to AAA, have them be ready on standby, right? I'll get specifically into how well Montero has been hitting in our next episode, but here, like I promised, I want to finish by talking about Drew Romo and Zach Veen. And how about a quick little stint here out of Drew Romo? Manages to get into 13 games, get 20 plate appearances, uh, largely because Diaz is out at the World Baseball Classic, and boy, did he make the most of them, producing eight hits, including a double and a triple, drove in four, stole a base, got caught stealing once, only struck out two times. That's good for a batting average of 421, an on-base percentage of 450, and a slugging of 579. Do remember that Drew Romo is a switch-hitting 21-year-old catcher who has yet to play above high A ball, and this was his very first taste of big league level competition, and boy, did he seem to revel in it. Also, keep in mind that Drew Romo's big profile, the the major reason to draft him out of high school was how advanced his defensive skill set is, how good he is at uh, receiving the ball, handling pitchers, calling games, blocking the ball, his exceptionally quick release, like you know, all the things that catchers do. <laughs> Those are the things that that he excelled at, right? And there was always this question of how long was it going to take his bat to develop, especially as a high school catcher. And so far, it's gone about as well as you could have possibly hoped or asked for out of Drew Romo. And just seeing the way he has responded, seeing the way uh, the organization has responded to him makes me think he has dramatically quickened his potential arrival to maybe even this year. And I, and I wouldn't have said that going into the spring training. Now, uh, it's not going to be, you know, midway through the season unless he just absolutely goes off and, and, some, and there's some kind of savant thing happening here. But I, I do think we're still looking at, you know, a September call up at the earliest for Romo and, and really looking at him coming into the picture starting next year. But boy, oh boy, is he an exciting player right now when you've got a catcher who can do all the things behind the plate, who's got a great head on his shoulders, who's talking about how he believes in the future, the franchise and the organization, how great they're going to meet all that stuff. And I know, by the way, his first opportunity, first 20 plate appearances at big league camp, he's going to hit 421 slug 579, you know, make himself a, a, a factor, get in there and play ball. 
you know, and you just love it, man. It's really cool to see that there shouldn't be any surprise that like he's he's not ready for the bigs. That's too short of a plate appearance or, or, or too few plate appearances, too short of a stint. Not enough of a sample size, however you want to phrase it, uh, to be going off and saying, well, you got to get Drew Romo straight to the bigs. Now, let's talk about the other guy. Could you, should you, would you have done that with Zach Veen? I understand the temptation. Look, folks, I've I've been saying it not only just all offseason, but really through the middle of last year that the 2023 campaign is, of course, going to be about learning, not about winning. And so I understand anyone saying, throw all caution to the wind, don't play a single veteran, just run 100% with the kids, but you still have to be reasonable about it. And it's not just about who cares if it costs the team games. It's about who cares if it messes with the player's development. There is a reason why in zero of the 30 organizations in baseball, do you just jump guys straight from the draft into the bit, right? These guys like uh, Bryce Harper, are extraordinarily rare. And even he spent like six or seven months in minor league baseball. And that's ridiculous. Like that's, that's a unicorn, right? You've, you've got to let the player's timetable be decided by the player. And I know that watching him go out there. So, okay, let's give you the numbers again. Not huge, but considering he got 48 played or 48 at bats. Did he draw some walks? I don't have any walks on the one I'm looking at here. I was on two different pages for the two different players. Uh, hitting 271. Yeah, so on basing 314. So, yeah. And then uh, slugging 375, not a ton. A little bit of a singles hitter. But when the guy's stealing eight bases, only one caught stealing. Uh, you know, a single is almost as good as a double to Zach Veen right now. And it's been extremely fun to watch him do that part of the game. Not to mention the going first to third on anything, hit anywhere, scoring easily on balls in the gap, all that stuff. He's just an exceptionally instinctual, talented base runner, in addition to having the plus speed, but it really is for him just about the base running ability. But uh, yeah, he got the one home run, but a couple of doubles in there, 13 base hits overall, did strike out 16 times. So, you know, you want to see that come down a little bit. But overall, again, you couldn't have asked for a whole lot more out of Zach Veen, but it's still not... You know, he didn't hit six home runs and, you know, 450 and just demand to be there the way, for example, Trevor Story did back in 2016, right? And even then, Trevor Story had a lot more minor league experience under his belt than Zach Veen does currently. So I understand the excitement. I understand getting caught up in the momentum. And I understand saying, what's the point in giving plate appearances to Jonathan Daza and Jerickson Profar. I'm I'm with all of those arguments. But that does not just mean that therefore, eh, we're going to throw Zach Veen to the Wolves and whatever happens, happens, right? You still want to put him in the best possible position to succeed. And in an ideal scenario, when you call up Zach Veen, and, and look, this happens with lots of guys, lots of great players have had times where they've come up and then had to go back down to AAA over the years, and they've handled it just fine. But in an ideal scenario, you'd like to avoid that. You'd really love that whatever day you call this guy up, he is your guy from that day forward. 
And you want to put him in every possible position to succeed to do that. And that means probably at least experiencing a little bit of AAA before, you know, he's barely had any experience in AA. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if they send him there first. Again, very similar to what happened with Ezekiel Tovar last season, where he too had a very promising spring. And so you send him to AA, you hope he rakes, you hope you can call him up to AAA very quickly, and he'll be in the bigs before you know it. But there was always a less than 5% chance that Zach Veen was going to make the big league roster this spring. And quite frankly, as good as he was, and see, this is where I don't, I don't want to be like throwing rain on the parade. I don't want to say, you know, he didn't earn that spot, but he didn't play well enough to say, let's run with the 21-year-old who barely has double-A experience, has never played in triple-A. This is really his first taste of big league competition. And yeah, it's great that he's showing that he can hang. But let's let him take that success, that feeling of having just put in a great spring and go back and work on the things that he, everyone's got stuff they got to work on, but clearly, you know, at 21 years old, the things you can still be implementing into your game, take all of that experience from the fall league and spring training and take it back to double A, where, by the way, he struggled last year. He didn't, he wasn't great in his 20 couple of games at double A uh, last year. So you take it back there. And you show your coaches and your organization that you've learned a thing or two. You put up some big numbers, and yeah, you'll be in you'll be in the big leagues before you know it. And they're not none of these guys are so locked in that they won't make way for Zach Veen. Obviously, Chris Bryant, they're not going to get rid of for for Veen, but you don't need to do that, right? He can play center if he needs to play center. If Profar needs to move around the diamond or be a guy off the bench, they'll do that too if Zach Veen is ready. Zach Veen ain't blocked by nobody. That, that's one thing I will say. I'm frustrated about the Tolia thing. I get people frustrated about the Nolan Jones thing. I will throw a mild fit if Montero is not starting most of the games at third base and instead Mike Moustakis is. Mike Moustakis, by the way, this is for next podcast, but has earned his way onto the roster. But Zach Veen isn't blocked by anybody. Understand that. The second he's really ready, it's make way for Zach Veen. Sorry, I couldn't help it. I'm surprised I don't do that more often. Every time something reminds me of a song in my house, I start singing it at my wife. And she loves it. I gotta, I gotta tell you, she loves it. Uh, so now you had to, to deal with that, and I apologize. But that's, you know... Yeah, so so I was a little surprised that there was so much consternation today over, I thought the Rockies said they were going to play the kids. It's like, yeah, they meant Tovar and Montero, and I was really hoping Tolia, and I'm pulling for Peter Lambert to maybe get a rotation spot, even though he hadn't looked great. Again, that's one where, at the, at the very least, you're like, you gotta, you gotta find out now or never, almost, at, at that point, right? But, no, these aren't things to get super... Uh, disappointed by it. I'll, I'll close by saying this because I saw some people getting back at me and this is the reason why I think it's really important to stand up against these quite frankly oftentimes bad faith arguments because you know and people will sometimes argue back at me well the Rockies deserve it though because while they may not really be a joke for this while all the stuff that I just explained maybe says well okay you explained it so this one makes sense but they do screw a lot of things up Drew you've got to admit that right but that actually that, that makes it worse it's like the, the good place meme. The reason that makes it worse is because you don't have to make things up to criticize this team. 
You don't have to invent things out of thin air or forget entirely about players like the existence of Ryan McMahon, so you think Chris Bryant's going to play third base, or the existence of Michael Tolia and Alaris Montero, so you thought Nolan Jones was going to be a starter on this team when that was a long shot before any veterans were signed. You know, when it comes from these not knowing, not understanding, and not only that, feeling like you don't have to know or understand or learn because the Rockies are a joke, while it doesn't matter a ton on this, that same mindset, that, that thing right there is why Larry Walker took a decade and only got into the Hall of Fame by three votes. That thing right there is the reason Nolan Arenado never won an MVP in Colorado, and Todd Helton didn't in 2000, and Matt Holliday didn't in 2007. So when we want to, and and that's just, those are the big ones. You all know that there's a lot of other small ones in there, like the entire careers of Aaron Cook. These aren't small ones. These are big ones, too. I was going to say the entire careers of Aaron Cook, Jorge De La Rosa, and I saw one the other day, Ubaldo Jimenez, talked about as a one-and-done good season flameout. The guy was a top 10 pitcher in baseball for four years and is still the Rockies all time wins above replacement leader as a pitcher. So most Rockies fans I find have something along that spectrum that really frustrates them. However valid, I tried really hard to make that a different word. However valid your concerns are about the things that they do that do make them look stupid. I, I would argue that's why it's more important to, to stick to the facts and not buy into the bad faith arguments and to push back against the things that don't make sense when criticizing the team. Because again, there is a plethora, there is a veritable ocean of fair critiques to levy at this team. You don't have to make stuff up. And I feel like sometimes when media and fans go along with the made-up stuff, because ah, who cares, even if they're not a joke about this, they're a joke about that. Ultimately, we're contributing to the thing that is unfair for the players and the fans, for for you even the fan, for, the, for that thing, whether it's this player, that player, the awards I mentioned, you know that there are ways in which the national media is not fair to the Colorado Rockies. And while you may not care if that, impacts Dick Monfort, how about when it impacts Charlie Blackman? How about when it impacted Clint Barmas? You know what I mean? I'm not going to list everyone, but you know what I mean? Chad Bettis. I had a really great conversation with Chad Bettis about this right near the end of his career, right as he was about to retire. And he said, you know, it's not that people are out here trying to discredit us. They just don't know. But the end result of that is that guys who are in here doing so much incredible work, dealing with some of the biggest disadvantages in the sport, the altitude, the to and from altitude, their own front office. He didn't say that. I'm editorializing. End up not getting credit for it because it all gets wrapped up in the eh, Rockies, the dismissiveness of it. So if you're ever wondering why I can be a little bit diligent, a little bit militant, whatever word, again, that you'd like to choose there, about pushing back on things like this when they seem so small, that's the reason why. Because I believe all of those small conversations 
acting like the Rockies are a joke franchise because they sent the guy who has been the worst hitter in trip in spring training to AAA is nonsense. And it ends up contributing to basically the idea that any criticism of the Rockies is a fair criticism that they earned themselves. And that ain't right. So let me know what you think of all this stuff. Like I said, I'm going to get dive really deep. I've decided what I'm going to do for the next couple of episodes. Ups and downs, but on the offense and then on the pitching. So we can talk about a couple of different aspects of spring training so far. And then build the last couple of battles, I guess, going into the regular season. So stick with us here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. Make sure you're following all the accounts on Mile High Sports Twitter sphere. And you're just continuing to be absolutely awesome out there. I will continue to be absolutely Drew Greisman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.